This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Scriptures are funny, they're like mountains. Because you can climb a mountain a number of different ways and you get a different perspective on it. It's the same scripture, but you can have different insights to that scripture depending on which approach you take. I want to touch on a few scriptures that I've touched on in the last few weeks and I want to do it intentionally because it's important for me that the place that we're going to is to move us to a space where you know God, where you encounter God. Israel knew God, Israel understood God, but they didn't know God. Israel understood God, but they didn't know God. Israel understood God because they were stuck in Egypt. And God said to them, you know what I want to do? I'm going to introduce you to who I am. And I'm going to introduce you to the fact that I am God, your redeemer. But it's not just in name only. What I'm going to do is I want you to experience that. So he took them out of Egypt and he pulled them into the the desert. He took them out of captivity because it wasn't just the fact that he wanted them to understand and know that there was a God who was a redeemer. He wanted them to experience that. It was because they didn't, he didn't just want them to recognize the fact that he was the one who was going to deliver them. He wanted to open the Red Sea so that they experienced what it was to come to that place where the deliverer intervened in my life. They didn't want to just know him as the God who was the provider in their life. He wanted to get them to the place where he provided them with manna and with quails and with water in the desert. Because they've got to know him experientially for who he was. We want to know him for who he is. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to speak to you this morning on the conception of life. Conception of life. When you look at that um, verse, and we touched on it last week in a few different areas, but one of the areas that I want to touch on this morning is the fact that God is sitting saying to us, I've got a plan for you, and the reason I'm sending my son is to introduce you to eternal life, everlasting life. It's the same thing. What is everlasting life? What is eternal life? He's wanting to introduce us to it. And we have a concept of it as a church. And we think about eternal life as, well, if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're going to live forever. But that's not what it means. You see, if you're a human being, you're going to live forever. Because you have a soul, a spirit as your base. And as a spirit, you're going to live forever. Where you live and where you spend eternity is going to be determined by what you decide to do while you're up here. But everlasting or eternal life doesn't mean that you're going to live forever. The reason that God was, that Jesus was given is indicated to us in the verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. The purpose that Jesus was sent was everlasting life. Not so that your sins could be forgiven. 
Your sins are going to be forgiven, and that's part for the course, because sin separates us from God. He came here to, to get, deal with the sin issue once and for all, and to put the sin issue aside. We need to get that sorted out. So that's part for the course. It's not only what he got away, that, that he, it's not only what he put away and took control of, but he came to introduce us to something called everlasting life. He's come to do something in our midst. And so it's important for us that we begin to understand what is everlasting life? What is eternal life? Jesus gives us the description to us if you turn to um, John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom they have sent. Eternal life is to know God. Now, you're so disappointed, aren't you? Because <laughs> you were thinking that it was going to be something big and a grand revelation. But that's what it is. You see, the problem with it is we don't have a true concept and an appreciation for the word no. To know God. It's not having an understanding of God. It is knowing God in the most intimate of way so that it becomes transformational and becomes something that affects and influences our life. It's very much the way that Adam knew Eve. And when Adam knew Eve, she conceived. And as a result of conceiving, she gave birth to Cain. It was about intimacy. Understanding and having rational understanding has never produced a child. Adam never understood Eve. He was intimate with Eve. He knew Eve. The challenge that we have with the Christians is that we understand God, but we don't know God. Understanding never leads to children. We've got to know him. We've got to know who he is. When you get to a place of knowing, you're talking about that point of intimacy. It's something that's personal. It is something that's intimate. It's something that's relational. It's not something that's a flash in the pan that happens for a moment. This is something that takes place throughout my life. This is something that speaks about regular encounters, interactions, places where the two of us go and we come together. It's about opening this most central part of my life and who I am. It's my heart. And sitting saying, I'm prepared to open that up to you and let you into that space. You know what the problem is? You see, when you get intimate, I've got to talk about some stuff tonight. Is that okay? Because we're all good, right? If you want to get intimate, you've got to get naked. If you want to get intimate, you've got to get naked. And you've got to feel who you are to the other person. You know what the problem is? It's too much of the church. We don't want to get naked with God. We want to hide who we are because I don't want him to come into my heart and I don't want him to see what's there. I feel insecure and I feel uncomfortable with revealing truly who I am because I know some of the thoughts. I know some of what populates that little space called my heart. I know what constitutes my life. I know what it looks like. I know some of the fears that are part of who I am. And it's so much easier for me to go and take a fig leaf and hide from him. Adam did it, and we do it all the time. 
We don't want to get naked with God. And so the problem with it is we live with an understanding of God, but we never encounter him. We never come to that place of knowing him. We never get to that point where we conceive life on the inside of us. And that life grows up and newness of life reveals itself and changes who I am. Knowing is about conception. The most effective form of birth control is abstinence. We have a church where we have too many people who've adopted abstinence. You know what happens? We never spend time in the word. When you don't spend time in the word, you live in a state of abstinence. You're never going to conceive. I'm never intimate. You're never going to conceive. It's not because I don't know God. It's not because I don't have an appreciation and an understanding and a love for God. I just don't know him. So what ends up happening is my life never changes. I never encounter him. I never see him. He's never present in my circumstances and my situations. I don't understand why my prayers aren't always answered. I don't understand why I don't feel him close to me. It's because I've never got into the word. I spend my life in a state of spiritual abstinence. Until I get to the place where I get into the word of God, I never allow the Holy Spirit to take the seed of the word and to deposit it into the womb of my life called my heart and put into that space a revelation of truth. But until the seed is planted, new life is never conceived. It's only when new life is planted in that space that it begins to grow up and it begins to take on a life of its own. We come to Jesus and we trust him to save us. And we trust him and we believe him to forgive us from our sins. And we trust him and we believe him that we're not going to experience hell. The challenge with it is we stop at that place and we never move further into encountering eternal life. Eternal life is important because it's in knowing God that the life of Christ becomes our life. And it's when the life of Christ becomes our life that is, forms the very essence of the kingdom of God. If his life doesn't become my life, the kingdom is not established on the inside of me. It's the essence of what kingdom discussion is all about. It's the essence of what kingdom language and reality is all about. His life is to become mine. The church, in large part, is misunderstood and not done a very good job of presenting to the world the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish. Period. And we've left it there. We've left them at the point where Jesus came to save you and move you to that place where you have your sins forgiven. You're no longer going to hell. And what? 
We've left off the goal of salvation, which is everlasting life. The result is we've created a situation where we have a generation of born-again believers who are saved, but they're stuck. They saved because I have the life of Christ on the inside of me. I believed in him to forgive me from my sins. I know that I'm not going to hell. Period. I've never stepped into everlasting life. It's never been introduced to me that he has a plan and a purpose for me. It's never been said to me that God wants to come and to form a relationship with me. That he's inviting me into a space that says, I want to know you. And I've prepared a way for you to not only know me, but for you to move into a reality of what that is. John chapter 14, verse 9. If we want to know God, it's important for us that we come to a place that we're able to see him, that we're able to recognize him. And in John chapter 14, verse 9, basically, Philip is saying to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you for so long and you don't recognize the Father? If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. If you have a look at my disposition to life, if you have a look at the way that I'm able to segment between that which is the kingdom of God and that which is of the kingdom of heaven, of of Satan, if I'm able to move to a place where I'm able to introduce power into situations that brings about change and transformation, if I'm able to move to a space where you see from my words and my actions and my behaviors and my attitudes and you recognize all of those things, what you're doing is you're seeing the Father. It's important because it's a spiritual principle. Just stick with me. It's a spiritual principle. The principle is this. In order to see somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you have to observe their physical appearance. What it means is when you begin to know Christ, he can be manifest in your life and you can see him for who he is. What Jesus is saying to him is, Philip, listen to me, get onto a spiritual plaque here. I need for you to understand the fact that if you want to see Christ, it's available and it'll be accessible to you as long as you know him. The challenge that we have is we have a whole bunch of people who are waiting to get to heaven one day because they're going to be able to see Jesus. They're looking forward to the day when when we move to heaven and there we can celebrate and see Jesus. The challenge with it is you will do that and that's not a bad thing. I get it. But you're going to see his physical form. The point is, if you are prepared to get to the place where you know Christ right now and you cultivate his life on the inside of you, you can see him now. We don't have to wait to heaven to see him. In the times of Jesus, the Jews who were there were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah to come down and for the Messiah to establish his kingdom on the earth. What they were anticipating and what they were expecting was that the Messiah would come down and he would create a kingdom much like David's. And that's what they were looking for. The thing is, when Jesus came, he came as the sacrifice for sin. And it was only the most astute, the only, the only the most spiritually sensitive of people who recognized who he was. 
Most of the Jewish leadership didn't even recognize who he was as the Messiah. I think we have a big part of the modern day church who's so busy looking for the return of Christ and who's so busy looking for Christ to come back and establish his kingdom on the earth that they've lost sight of the fact that you can know Christ today. And if you know him today, you will see him. The call of the church is to sit and say, take who he is and reveal him to the world. Let them see him. Stop waiting for Jesus to come back at some point so everybody could see him. It's a dangerous position to take because what ends up happening is it introduces the church to an attitude of lethargy. We're waiting for Christ to appear where he's sitting saying, you can see me if you'll cultivate me on the inside of you. When we start talking about Christ, and we start talking about Christ being manifest in us, we start talking kingdom language. And when you start talking kingdom language, it's important for us to recognize that some of that stuff goes with the mysteries of God. I want to get into some stuff now. It's a little bit more stakish as opposed to just easy stuff. But just, just stick, stick with me, Okay. It's really important, this. The spirit realm is different to our natural realm. And there are realities that exist in the spirit realm that are different to what we experience naturally. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to sit and overlay the natural over the spiritual. And because we're not able to have a, um, a, a contained idea as to what it's all about, we feel uncomfortable in that space. A little bit of discomfort is okay. God didn't call us to understand everything. He called us to trust him. Okay? Here we go. If you're going to trust Jesus, and you're saying, Christ, Jesus, I want you to do something in my life. I want to know you. And I want to experience you. We are speaking to Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are speaking to Christ who was crucified, who conquered sin and death, who overcame everything, who rose from the dead and who moved to the right hand of the Father and sits there, King of kings, Lord of lords and all authority. That's who Christ is. We're praying to Christ on the right hand side of the Father. But at the same time, he lives in you on earth. He's in heaven on the right-hand side of the Father, but he's living in you on the earth. Think about Jesus' life when he was on the earth. When Jesus was on the earth, he moved along when Jesus was aware of the fact, obviously, of his life on the earth. And yet Christ was in God in heaven. It says that the Father inhabits or inhabited the heart of Christ. Jesus even said, the works that I do, I don't do by myself. I do of the Father who is in me. But the Father never left his throne in heaven to come down and take a habitation up on the inside of Christ. So it introduces us to something interesting. And 
It's the idea that you can have yourself located in two locations simultaneously, but be in the same domain called the kingdom. You can be in two, in two locations simultaneously, but in one domain called the kingdom of God. Let me, speak of, let me take it into a practical context for you, because I'm going somewhere with this. Just stick with me. We're on a little journey. This is just a little one. The moment that you got born again, the minute that you sat and said, Jesus, you know what? I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. The moment that you moved to that place where he became Lord and Savior of you, what ended up happening? You were immediately translated spiritually and you moved to a place in Christ where you were seated at the right hand of the Father. I know you don't believe me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment Christ came on the inside of you and the life of Christ defined who you were, you are seated in heaven, in heavenly places. But the challenge with it is, I'm still very much aware of the fact that my life is in my body down here on earth. So I find myself in a similar situation. In two locations. Spiritually, I'm with Christ. But naturally, I'm walking the earth. But it's all sewn up in one dimension called the kingdom. It's all in one dimension called the kingdom. Why did God do that? What is his purpose in it? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Colossians chapter 1. Sorry, Colossians chapter 3. From verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seating, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What he's saying is this. As a person who has the life of God living on the inside of him, you and you're part of the kingdom of God, You are seated on the right hand of Christ. Everything that Christ has done, everything that Christ has achieved, everything that Christ has overcome and given you authority over, you are seated with him on the right hand of the Father. But your life is still in your your natural body on the earth. What he's saying to you is this. Set your mind on things above. Don't look at what's happening around you. Don't look at the fact that your life is in your myrtle body and that you think thoughts about your natural environment and that you allow your emotions to come in and that everybody else's opinion comes and floods your life. Spit your mind on things above. If you're part of the kingdom, you live from the kingdom. The whole point of what he's introducing us to is the goal that when we live on earth, we should be expressing our nature as it is in heaven. I thought that was good. He wants us to fix our eyes on things above where we are with Christ. 
and allow that to define who we are. And what we do is we get to that place where through faith and through the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, we take the words that God gives us and we allow them to redefine who we are so that our actions are redefined by who I am in Christ. My words are redefined according to who I am in Christ. My attitudes are redefined according to who I am in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, I'm hurrying a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. What he's saying to us is this. The place where heaven and earth comes together is in Christ. The place where heaven and earth comes together is in Christ. Christ is the invitation to step into the kingdom. As you take more of Christ and get Christ on the inside of you, so the kingdom grows and enlarges and is more established on the inside of you. As more of Christ comes in, it enlarges and becomes more expansive in your life. What is it doing? It's taking the things of Christ and who he is, the things of heaven, and giving them to who we are so that we can live it out in the earth. That's how we bring heaven to earth. We talk about bringing heaven to earth. How do we do it? That's how you do it. We've been raised up with him. Everything that Christ has achieved, everything that he's accomplished, everything that is available to you is yours in Christ because you're seated with him. The question is, how do I take the things of Christ and make them a reality in my life? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is sitting waiting. Every circumstance that you have in your life, he's busy knocking on the door of your heart saying, I've got something to say. I have a contribution to make. Will you open the door and let me in? Every time you have stuff happening in your life, at work, in your marriage, with your kids, every place you find yourself, he's sitting saying, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Will you open it and will you let me come in? Because I've got a contribution to make. Would you like to hear what I have to say about it? He's knocking continually. The question is, did you open the door? You see, he's invited himself to dinner. He's invited himself to dinner because he said, if you open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. I will dine with him. You see, when he comes into our life and we invite him in, what ends up happening is Christ comes into our situation and he starts to dine on our obedience and on our worship. Yeah. 
When we get to the place where we sit and say, Christ, I just want to thank you for who you are and what you've done for me. I just want to tell you how much I adore you because you've taken me from where I was and you've put me where I am right now. I want to thank you for your redemption and I want to thank you for your healing and I want to thank you for your provision and I want to thank you for your deliverance and I want to thank you for the life that's more than enough. And as you begin to extol him and you worship who he is, he lives and he feasts off your worship. Why is it important? Because we become like what we value. He dines on our, on our worship and on our obedience. The Holy Spirit will honor the fact that God has given us the prerogative of making choices in our life. And he will invite us to do different things. Are we obedient or not? He feasts on our obedience. But it's not one-sided. It's two-sided. We feast on him. You see, we drink his blood and we eat his body. Every time you drink his blood, what you're drinking is the blood of salvation. What you're doing is you're drinking the blood that paid the price so that you don't have to bear the guilt and the wages that go with sin. Every time you drink the blood, you're drinking the blood that overcame everything. It didn't only free you and wash away your sins from yesterday. The good thing about the blood is it carries with it the power to give you the authority and the influence to change the things in your life today. It's not only about washing away, which is part of the deal. Yes, but what did he introduce us to? Eternal life. The blood carries on because the blood carries the power. So every time you have a bad habit, I've got the blood. Every time things are over me, I've got the blood. Every time something wants to come into my life and I sit and I have a look at it and I say, that doesn't come from up above. I've got the blood. I'm feasting on the blood. And I'm feasting on the body. The body was what was broken for you. The body is what was broken so that you could walk into wholeness and completion and, and, and fullness of physical and emotional life. It's there to set you free from physical ailments and depression and anxiety and stress and worry. It doesn't only wash those away the moment that you accept him as Lord and Savior of my life, but it comes with power. So you can move into your future sitting saying, I eat with the king of kings regularly. And when I eat with him, I can tell you it changes my life. It gives me some stuff because I can live in ways I've never lived before. The problem with the church is we've got such a bad diet. We don't go and dine with him. We don't. We like junk food. We eat all the things that fill us and make it feel so good and so easy. I like emotional schmoozing and I like this and I that and my thoughts and my stimulus. And he says, but I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. He's looking for you to invite him in. And to sit and say, come in. Let's eat together. God so loved the world. He loved you so much that he said, I'm going to send my son. 
Not only is he going to take care of the sin issue and wash that away. That's part of it. But the goal of salvation is eternal life. I want you to know once all of that's been gone and being dealt with and being put to rest, there's you and I left there. And you and I are to have relationship together. You and I are to be intimate and moving forward. Why? Because I want you to know who I am. And I want to come into that place. And I want to change things. Stop using your natural paradigm for what your expectation is of God. Stop looking for Jesus to manifest in the flesh. To come down with thunder and lightning tomorrow. Don't look for him physically. Sit and say, I appreciate the fact that part of what Christ paid for was the price so that he could come and I could know him today and he could begin to manifest through my life and as he does everybody says I see him I see him we live a dual reality because I'm up with Christ on the right hand of the father where all authority is over sin and death and yet my Natural uh, life is in the world. Keep your eyes focused on things above, where Christ is. The goal of our life is to take those things that define who we are with Christ and let them become a reality in everyday life. No matter what you're going through today, I want to invite you to invite Jesus to dinner. When he comes in, he's going to bring with him the body and the blood. This is just for Leslie. There are no vegetarians in dinner in heaven. If you don't like body and blood, you're in trouble. He brings with him the body and the blood. But he is looking for you to bring the worship and the obedience. The call is to bring heaven to earth. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Why did Jesus pray, thy kingdom come? Because he knew he needed to create a domain that we could live in that would straddle heaven and earth. So that his will could be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything happens through Christ. Christ is the introduction to the kingdom of God. Christ defines the kingdom of God. Christ is who paid the price so that you can live in victory and overcoming. Christ is defines who you are in heavenly places. And Christ is the one who wants to come in and eat with you and feast with you with regularity. Father, I want to thank you for being such a good God. We bless you for your goodness to us. I want to thank you, Father, for people who have a hunger for you and for who you are. I want to thank you, Father, that you love us so much. No matter where we are, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, it can never outrun your love. I want to thank you, Father, that you're always wanting to meet with us and you're always at the door knocking, waiting for us to open so that you can come in and dine with us.
I want to thank you, Father, for people who are looking for their lives to be populated by you. Make them hungry for intimacy, Holy Spirit. Make them hungry for intimacy. I thank you, Father, for rampant conception. I thank you for the birth of a new generation. A spiritual generation. Mm, Bless you for it now. 